you can think of an NFT as almost like a unit of your fandom. It's a great play, great action of a game from a player you love or a team you love, and you own it. It belongs to you. It's unique. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Fabrito, who is back from L.A., where he spent a few days on Radio Row, hanging yeah. out at the Super Bowl with a lot of media friends and connections. Joe, tell us about that experience. You were one of the lucky ones to make it to uh, the Super Bowl this year. A lot of people chose not to go. Um, how, how was it? Well, I never made it to SoFi Stadium. I never left downtown LA, which by the way, was great. Um, and there were a couple of other people. I saw Mike Tannenbaum, Chris Lincheski, um, you know, some of our other staff members out there. I, I think for anyone who took advantage of the time to go out there, there were less people, there were some less events, but, and, and obviously the LA traffic, but to get around and to see people, I saw more people masked and social distanced, not masked and distanced, everybody vac vaccinated as far as I can tell, than I've seen, I guess in two and a half years. I mean, wow. so, um, you know, Radio Row was probably a third of the size of Miami, uh, 110 stations, but if you had business to do and, and had the right people there, it was, as it always is, amazing time. and. Uh, I thought downtown LA, hard to recognize, you know, it's kind of changed so much. It's still very, very quiet, but, um, you know, got around as best you can. And it was a great 80 degrees every day and uh, came back on Friday and we had our annual uh, Super Bowl tradition of going to a Broadway matinee. We went to see company on Sunday and got back before the game and it was a great week. I, wow. uh, I think there was a lot of you do that every year? You go to a Broadway show? Yeah, as, soon, as soon as the Jets, we get to October and realize the Jets have no chance of making the Super Bowl, I buy Broadway tickets for the Sunday. Wow. Of, All right. So. I thought I thought you would have been home watching the, the pregame show yeah. that started at 10 a.m. No. Um, but, you know, I think, um, you know, just before, obviously, we get to our guests and we're going to talk a lot about uh, NFTs and digital and digital artwork and, and, and where the business is going, um, you know, obviously, the Coinbase, whatever it was, was interesting and draw a lot of buzz. You know, I know, Tom, we always talk about user experience. Obviously, once you you took the picture and tried to get on the site, the user experience was awful, which I guess if you're Coinbase, it's not really what you want, but and you shouldn't want. But, you know, they generated the buzz. And the things that I thought were really interesting is over, over the top, too many celebrities, try everybody trying to be cutesy. And in a world where... You know, we've talked about this social responsibility and cause marketing have really risen to the top. Really not one commercial was anything about cause marketing or driving to something bigger or creating emotions. Everything was about cute and funny this year. Yeah, and yeah. it's important, I guess, you know, you know, you know, three electric car ads, I guess, but, um, you know, it was, it was surprising. And, and some of my students, and I spoke at a couple classes this week, all said the same thing. It was like, what happened to the, you know, the the, the emotional ads of the past, whether it was, you know, um, Dwayne Wade for Budweiser or something with the Clydesdales, all gone. Everybody went for the, the quick joke this year. Um, and the other one that I thought was, was really a miss, which I didn't even know who it was. I did not know it was Brooks Kepka in the commercial. 
mm-hmm. the, the one commercial that they, I think was for Rocket Mortgage. Yeah. How do you put a golfer who I guess they assume everybody knew? I looked at 15 people in a room that I was in. I'm talking to a couple of people online. Nobody knew who it was until I asked a yeah. golfer and said, oh, yeah, that's Brooks Kepka. Yeah. What a miss for $14 million. I it's mean, funny. It's funny you mentioned that one because I was with a group of people, small get together, yeah. and I was the only one that recognized him. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's a good point because he's one of the most high profile guys in the PGA Tour, young um, and successful guy. But what I realized, Joe, is when you take professional golfers and take their hats off, they yeah. oftentimes actually do look different than what yeah. we're used to seeing. There's a certain image you see them because 99% of the time they're wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. And that was an example where um, I think it threw a lot of people off. But no, I agree with you. It was a good time to be a celebrity, either an A minus celebrity or B plus celebrity in many cases. The resurrection um, of Albert Eiler. He's back. <laughs> well, there were a lot of examples. It was kind of funny. Anyway, um, let's get into the show. Um, we could spend more time talking about all the events of, of the business, not events, so the, the issues and developments around this business, including the Olympics, which we, we really should do it probably a deep dive into maybe after it'll end this weekend because yeah. God, a lot of interesting stories coming out of that. But <laughs> let's get into a subject near and dear to my heart as an NFT fan uh, and an NBA fan, especially, um, and introduce our guest and someone we've been wanting to have for a while uh, someone who's very close and dear to the Columbia Sports Management Program, former student, graduate, uh, Jorge Uritia Del Pozo. Very good, Tom. Thank you. Perfect. Sorry, I couldn't use a real, a real legit Spanish accent with that, Jorge. Um, that was the best I could do. Jorge is now the VP of football at Dapper Labs. Talk about an interesting place to be and an interesting job as they embark on their relationship with La Liga, which we're going to get into. But Jorge's professional resume is even more impressive, I would say, than his academic resume, which is extremely impressive, including Columbia. Um, He's been at places such as the National Basketball Association, Digitas, HuffPost, AOL, Boston Consulting Group, really just an amazing uh, career path so far. And it's fascinating to me, and it probably will be to many, and to you, Joe, and many of the listeners, that he has now found himself in the land of Web3, in the world Mm -hmm. of non-fungible tokens, and this fascinating new part of the sports business. So, Jorge, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's really good to have you. So, let's do this. Um, Some of our listeners may actually know you, because of your affiliation with the program, but why don't you introduce yourself in the context of your career journey, which is so fascinating. And you know, we always love to get insights as to how things happen, thoughts that you, uh, that, that you kind of had along the way, impetuses to move, ideas of where you wanted to go. So uh, kind of an open-ended question to talk about your career, and then we'll, we'll get into the heart of the discussion about Dapper and your, your new job. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, looking back at my career, it feels like I've come full circle in many ways. Um, I was born in Spain and I grew up loving soccer and playing soccer. Um, And I'm working in soccer right now, which is great. Um, And throughout my career, I've seen, you know, different incarnations of how technology has shaped um, the media industry and the sports industry. Uh, The very early internet, I graduated college. Um, around the year 2000, 
I actually wrote my thesis on valuation of of dot com companies. Wow. Um, and everything crashed immediately yeah, after. Right. I, I hope you had nothing to do with that. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't graduate in time to, uh, to right. destroy a lot of value. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, that was the time uh, when, I, when I started working and I went to work for BCG, uh, first in Madrid. Um, and then um, after two years at MIT uh, in their New York office. And that was a really interesting time as well. I'm talking now about 2005, 2007. Um, and that was really the birth of Web 2.0. Um, and you know, you always like to say in class that um, content is king, but distribution is queen. And she wears the pants. I think that's a quote. Yeah, right. Um, and so you could really see at the time that shift in value capture uh, in that industry from uh, content creation to content distribution. Um, and that was a very interesting. Um, you know, time to, to work in the industry. Um, after that, I joined AOL, which was a Web.0 Web company, uh, really trying to make a transition. Um, and I worked on the turnaround of the company when, when we joined um, under Tim Armstrong, it was around $10 a share and it got sold to Verizon around $50 a share. And I had two roles there. I was working in strategy, and when we acquired the Huffington Post, uh, I was head of operations for the Huffington Post. Um, so that was also a really interesting real world, large scale transformation um, experience. Um, and around uh, that time, I started to think about getting in sports and uh, you know, going back to my passion um, as a fan growing up, I joined the Columbia Sports Management Program and that's, that's when we met. Um, and shortly after, I started working for the NBA, where I was head of uh, fan audience strategy and engagement. And it was a really fascinating time to uh, to join the league. Um, you know, there were um, a lot of challenges in terms of um, traditional forms of fan engagement, um, such as uh, live viewership or even attendance, uh, dwindling a little bit or stagnating. Um, and there was a need to uh, really get to know your fans better for many sports properties, really understanding who they are, uh, get first party data um, and engage them in different ways. And, you know, you saw esports come up, you saw sports betting and really you saw, um, you know, Web3 and the blockchain. Uh, around the time I was at the NBA, the NBA signed an agreement with uh, Dapper Labs to uh, build a product called NBA Top Shot. Mm -hmm. um, and you know that product became a success, um, and that really brings me, as I said, full circle to to today. I met uh, so, my boss. Right, when yeah, when was it. that? When was that? What year was that? Uh, that was well, two, they, they did the Dapper deal. They announced the Dapper deal in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, two thousand nineteen. Uh, it really picked uh, later, uh, or it became more popular. Uh, two thousand twenty one. Really, uh, February two thousand twenty one was probably the uh, the month where. It, or basically, um, it became uh, extremely popular, but um, but the deal was um, was definitely older than that. And our company right. has been uh, working on Web three and the blockchain um, way before that. Uh, we became famous uh, for a product called CryptoKitties, um, and that was 2017. Uh, CryptoKitties is the OG um, NFT product. Right. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we can talk more about it yeah. later, not necessarily sports, but, uh, you know, we've been at it for a long time. We've built uh, probably the best technology um, in the space. And, and it seems 2017 is not that long, but in this space, it's a long time. Yeah, a long time. Jorge, I, I, just a couple of quick uh, comments on what you just said. So, um, first of all, Joe, you can imagine how intimidated I was when Jorge was in my class. We went on the first day of class, we go around the room to talk about backgrounds. We have a lot of, you know, the average age in the class is 25, very little experience, very light experience, typically. Jorge goes through his background and I'm thinking, I'm not revealing what I'm thinking. I'm just stone-faced listening to him. And he's like, I worked at AOL, I worked at Huffington Post, Digitas. I'm like, wow, this is a serious media, digital digital executive. And I, I think uh, it, it, it really was kind of an inspiration to me, frankly, because I kind of was thinking, all right, I hope I can make this class a good class for somebody like this. And we became friendly, uh, you know, through the class and afterwards. So it's a, it's a very vivid memory of mine, Jorge, yep. from a few years back. Um, anyway, so when I read the announcement in, um, I believe it was summer of 19, Joe, no one knew the acronym NFT at that point. Only 99% of us did not know that, uh, mm -hmm. in all due respect to CryptoKitties, which was a couple of years before. But I remember really being intrigued by that. And I read the press release from the NBA. So that winter, as the subject was becoming a little bit more mainstream going into 2020 pre-pandemic, I reached out to Jorge's colleague at Dapper, whom I did not know, Katie Tedman, who was then kind of the face of Dapper yep. Labs and the NBA, a deal. <clears throat> and I don't usually do this for my classes, because unfortunately, the, with the network we have, we usually get people we know or, or can get introduced to. But I reached out uh, cold on LinkedIn and I introduced myself and I told her about my class at Columbia. I said, I'd love that if you would be willing to visit my class virtually. By that point, the pandemic hit, we were on Zoom and she agreed, which was awesome. So I told the class, we're gonna have someone from Dapper Labs. Everybody's like, what's Dapper Labs? And I told them and I told them about the MBA announcement. And Katie joined via Zoom in, the, in this class. And it was really one of the, kind of a milestone for me because first of all, I learned a ton listening to your talk. Secondly, I realized I kind of, that was the first time I got a sense of where this might go, like the potential. And then the, the, the last point there was, I think all of our st the students' heads were spinning by the time she hung up on Zoom because everybody's like, what is she talking about? Digital collectibles and stuff like that. But it was, a really interesting moment because as Jorge said, that was the time when it really started to get into more mainstream conversation. So by the end of 2020 and going into first quarter 21 is when everybody started talking about it. And that's when I personally got into NBA Top Shot and I've been an NBA Top Shot aficionado ever since. In fact, Jorge, I should tell you, we're recording this on Friday the 18th. Yesterday, I spent three hours on the queue to buy my all-star pack, uh, $19 all-star pack, Joe. And by the way, there were 200,000 packs. So while I was on the line waiting, I took out my calculator and I did 200,000 times 19. And if you don't have a calculator, that's 3.8 million. And I'm thinking, wow, $3.8 million of revenue was just created like magic. Anyway, I'll stop, Jorge. T tell us about... Give us a little bit more context on 
how Dapper is approaching this. Because I think one of the interesting questions that we are all asking ourselves is, how is this all kind of uh, strategized and structured? Like to decide you're going to do X number of packs and, and the prices so, so like that. Yeah. Can we take a step back first? Sure. Corey, when you explain to somebody what an NFT is, how do you do it? Okay, good. Fair enough. Yeah, let's start with that. And then let's talk about longer term strategy, IP rights, and then we can talk about packs. I think, I think there's a few steps before that. But um, yeah, what's, what's the blockchain? I'm not going to give a, an overly technical definition, uh, and I'm probably not qualified to do that. But um, you know, the blockchain is basically a, a digitally distributed uh, public ledger. That's what it is. And so the way I think about it is it's like a book. And that book has all relevant information about different digital goods or assets. And that could be a moment, it could be a song, it could be anything. Um, and everything you can read in that book is verifiably true. And the book is accessible to everybody. And so that's really what the blockchain is. Um, you know, on top of that, uh, that book is actually programmable. It's a smart book you can have the book do things depending on what happens in the real world. Um, and so the start of the blockchain was, uh, uh, I guess, Bitcoin um, and a lot of cryptocurrencies use blockchains. Uh, but what we've seen in the past few years are uh, many other different applications outside of finance. Um, and one of them has been art, um, sports, uh, music, uh, et cetera. So that's a blockchain, um, you know, an NFT, Technically, it's a non-fungible token. Non-fungible means uh, that it's unique, that it cannot be substituted. Um, and it's just a digital good um, or asset. Exactly. It can be funged. Um, and so what that means, though, for, for sports fans um, is that you can think of an NFT as almost like a unit of your fandom. Um, it, when you think about a moment in Top Shot, it's a great play, great action of a game from a player you love or a team you love and you own it, it belongs to you, it's unique. Um, and it gives you a chance to express your fandom. It gives you a chance to participate in the economy of a sport that you love uh, because you can trade it. Uh, and it also gives you a chance to unlock uh, a number of other benefits or utility. And so, you know, in our case, um, we send our fans to a lot of games. Uh, we, we give them different digital rewards. In the case of um, La Liga and, and football, um, you know, we sent a few fans to Barcelona a few months ago to watch Real Madrid Barcelona, or actually Barcelona Real Madrid, the other way around. Uh, we had them meet two world champions that weekend, um, one from Barcelona and one from Real Madrid, uh, Carlos Puyol, who was a captain of Barcelona for many years, and Roberto Carlos uh, from Real Madrid. So I think that's incredible utility for, uh, for fans. And again, it's, it's kind of like an entirely new way of, um, of following a sport and participating in the sport. Um, and then for the rights holders for the leagues, it's also really interesting because it opens up another channel uh, to, to engage your fans, a new touch point entirely. Uh, Tom did the math on the revenue. There's also a revenue opportunity associated to it. Um, and you know, more interestingly, there's a revenue opportunity on the secondary market. If you compare it to uh, traditional forms of collectibles. So if you collected trading cards when you were a kid um, and you sold it to your peers, um, the rights holders, the league or the players did not necessarily see any of that money. Um, 
because this is in the blockchain um, and you can track it and there's smart con smart contracts associated with with this transaction um, you know the players and the leagues are getting their first share of value um, and that's very important and very transformational we were talking about web, web 2.0 before and I um, gave you the quote of distribution being the queen and wearing the pants and um, I think this changes that equation um, significantly for content creators of any kind not just sports leagues mm. um, and then you know the other thing that I would say the other advantage is that there's a lot of data about um, your fans and who they are and what they like and what they collect and when they buy and when they sell. Uh, that's really interesting for leagues to just get to know them better and keep building better products for them. So even though it's an obscure piece of technology with like really difficult language around it, um, and this is actually potentially a pretty transformational um, new form of engagement for uh, for athletes, for teams, and for leagues. Yeah, what's really interesting, Jorge, when you talk about the, the different dimensions that will that are coming to NFTs, that's the part I think most of us are, are really anxious to see, because some of these have been pretty one-dimensional, as you know, uh, and it's not casting any aspersions, but we're in the very early days of this industry. But what's interesting is that, uh, and, and Joe, we've talked about this a little bit before, that it started with something as simple as a short form video highlight, which as we know, you've heard me rant about the highlights industrial complex. They're, they're in great abundance for free on any number of platforms ranging from YouTube to TikTok to Instagram, et cetera. And to me, when history is written on the early days of this, Jorge, the fact that Dapper had, in conjunction with its league partners had the vision to see that they could take something in the world of abundance as simple as a video highlight and package it in such a way and make it scarce to create like a viable business. We all know the numbers, Joe, that have been quoted around sales of NBA Top Shot, I think you know, close to a billion dollars worth of sales. And as I say to my students, since it's a royalty model, I, uh, by the way, and where I'd love you to explain the model with the leagues if you're able to, um, but if it's a royalty model and you even apply a modest royalty, 10 or 12, 15%, you can see how, Joe, I think we've said this in past conversations, it's like found money while you're experimenting to Jorge's point on your fans and their interests in data collection and things like that. It really is it's just so interesting to watch. Now we're getting into this with UFC or Dapper is UFC, NFL all day, and of course, La Liga. So Jorge, could you respond to that and talk about this idea of using the video highlights as a kind of the first foray, you know, aspect of this foray into this token experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, going back to uh, when we were kids, um, collecting or, um, you know, trading cards or images is something that exists, it's an existing behavior. And Technology has improved since then. And to your point, um, you know, social media uh, gave us a lot of highlights and kind of created a conversation around games based on the highlights. Um, and I think what we just did was to um, really take full advantage of, of technology and the potential of a video, uh, which is something more dynamic um, and more exciting um, than a simple image. Uh, so it's kind of like a natural 
next evolution of, of uh, something that existed. Um, and we think that there's more value for fans and that the experience that they get uh, on video is, is probably better. Um, and so that motivated us um, to, uh, to pursue that part of the, of the stack, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the other thing I'd say, you were talking about social media. I think we're very synergistic with it in many ways, because what you see is that, um, you know, fans and our community like to use social media to express themselves and to tell us which place they want us to mint. Uh, so we're not necessarily, um, you know, uh, overlapping with social. We're pretty synergistic. People are watching the game. There's an amazing play that happens. They go on Twitter. Uh, they comment, "Oh my God, what a dunk! What a what an incredible play!" And then they go hashtag NBA Top Shot this, um, and that's creating a conversation that's good for the yeah, league, that's it's a good, good for point. the social network. Um, and, and then eventually, you know, we, we listen to them and we give them the plays they want to own. And so um, it's been it's been really synergistic. Um, and you know, beyond uh, video, there are stats um, associated to those plays. Uh, so you get a lot, uh, uh, you know, a perspective that's a lot more complete than um, than what a collectible used to be. Um, and then on top of that, uh, there's a layer that you're describing or that you were describing before around utility. Uh, as you build your collections, you have a collector score. Um, you can unlock different rewards. Um, and that is really the part to your point, this is very nascent, uh, but that's where we want to uh, put more of our effort going forward. And actually, uh, I think um, All-Star is this weekend, the NBA All-Star. Um, and yesterday we released with the NBA uh, 30 unique one-of-one -one NFTs uh, for All-Star. And those NFTs are gonna give, uh, are gonna be auctioned and they're gonna give the winners of their auction um, the opportunity to attend All-Star for five years and get wow. all kinds of behind the scene special access. Um, and that's, that's big utility. Uh, yeah. You know, if you can go to, in this case, Cleveland and go to uh, the Cavaliers court and go to shoot around with a legend or something mm -hmm. um, and then go to a party in Cleveland during the All-Star Weekend, uh, that's unique. Um, and that's something that we have to figure out how to scale and how to bring to more people. But that is really the next evolution of, um, of the NFTs. Nice. Joe, did you have something? Um, the question, all that is great, but that type of access isn't new. I mean, there have been com companies that have done that for years. You know, I think of um, um, Duzio. Duzio, being I was thinking of mm -hmm. So, so if I'm a fan, and, and by the way, NFL on location was another big one, just doing those type of things. So I'm a little bit confused as to the connection between the two. It's a bidding process, obviously. But if it's, if it's those things that I want, I'm still a little bit, what, what makes it unique to what, what Dapper Labs does with Top Shot versus, you know, the league already doing this. I mean, I guess it's extra value. I mean, it's just someone spending more money on something uh, for, for a new category. But it, that's the one thing that I understand it. But, um, you know, you look at a company like Tops has done this for years with traditional cards. So um, I'm not really sure why 
the incentive, I get what the incentive would be, but um, those, those things are not new. So as you look at that going forward, um, what are some of like the, the one of a kind unique things? And I just, the five years, I guess would be good. Um, but um, are those, and so that, that's one point, but the other point is, so is that if I, if I go and sell that, that, that NFT or I resell it, do I resell the benefits as well? Of course. Okay. Of course, yeah. You, you resell um, the NFT. And as I said, there's smart contracts associated to the NFT. And so whoever buys right. it from you is now the owner of the NFT. And, and that's verified um, on the blockchain and, and you get all those rights as well. Um, and so, you know, I think it is definitely a, 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 new, um, a new movement for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is scale and reach. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of the magnitude of our community um, and how um, accessible our product is, um, you know, some uh, NFTs in in other um, not 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 necessarily in sports, but in other spaces, um, they're uh, they're very inaccessible and they're really predicated on scarcity. There's very few um, available NFTs, etc. Um, we're talking about hundreds of thousands uh, or up to a million people um, engaging. And, you know, Tom mentioned yesterday that he bought a pack for $19. Um, and so two packs, when yeah. you think two packs, so when you think about a league and when you think about clubs and you want to reach millions of fans around the world, it is a very unique proposition that someone, you know, kind of like building uh, an experience for a few people, um, and, uh, you know, in, in, um, in a much less accessible uh, fashion. Uh, and so that's one difference. I would say that technology and the fact that all of this is transparently uh, available for everyone to be seen in the, in the blockchain um, and trackable is another difference. And I was talking before about the secondary market and mm -hmm. the fact that, yeah, when people sell it, um, there's a record for that transaction um, and there is value from that transaction that goes back to, uh, to the rights holders. Uh, and that's another big difference relative to any kind of trading card you've seen in the past. Uh, yeah. If you're Picasso and you know, someone's selling a painting uh, of yours today, no one's really, um, no, one's really uh, no one in, in Picasso's state is going to see a dollar from that, uh, unfortunately. I think that technology is here to change that equation. Okay. Um, and also along those lines, um, you talk about the utility and how it works. Um, not in sports, pretty much, but you've seen some of these other stories and other forms of artwork um, with people basically driving up the price by buying their own stuff. Um, but I would imagine in a trackable space, you can see who those people are and what they're doing, correct? Um, and, and so how do you avoid that, that artificial marketplace versus the natural one, which it seems like you've kind of fallen into? Yeah. Uh, so everything's transparent and for every NFT, you can see who bought it, who sell it, when, at what price, and you can see the entire history of, um, provenance, if you will, of that NFT. So yep. it's up there for everyone to see. Um, then there's, there's a number of mechanisms to um, you know, prevent um, any, any issue. One is 
the community itself, and this applies to not just Topshot or Dapper Labs, but a number of other communities in the NFT space. I think people are very good at policing, um, you know, the 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 space and flagging very very mm -hmm. clearly any sort of um, issue that may seem uh, abnormal. Um, mm -hmm. And then in our case, we have over a hundred people working in customer service, a KYC, a know your customer. Um, we have fraud mm -hmm. specialists, uh, and we have uh, many different ways of making sure that this is fair to um, to everyone. Great. So, Joe, part of the what's interesting to me about this category, and Jorge, I'd love your thoughts on this. So I'll just you know, give give you my thought on uh, how to frame that, or maybe frame your answer. Right now, Joe, every entity in the world of sports and entertainment, and arguably many other sectors, uh, including real estate and things like that, are trying to develop a, quote, NFT strategy. And, and Jorge, this reminds me of one of the basic questions we review and ask and debate in our class, which is, what are your assets and how might they be exploited in the digital realm, depending on the, 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 the kind of uh, environment we're talking about? So, Joe, you got this situation here. We've got this new environment that has certain capabilities. So whether you're an individual athlete, you're a team, you're a league, you're an association, you're a media network, what assets do we have to exploit in this new realm? And what's interesting to me is, as I said, we're in early days. So you think about, I thought, I thought Jorge's answer was really good about the video. It doesn't make sense. It's like a modern day front, front side of a trading card from when we were, when we were young, uh, a video mm -hmm. highlight. But what's interesting is to think about where it may go vis-a-vis the combination of digital experiences like the trackability with ticketing, which Ted Leonsis and Mark Cuban have talked about many, many times over the last year, um, but also the things you could add IRL in real life, Joe, such as the mm -hmm. things you mentioned that are already happening, just making them in perhaps more efficient and adding dimension to these experiences that can, be, can make this really special over time. So yeah. Jorge, when, when you like, if you, to the extent you can let us know about how your conversations with La Liga go, I assume it's some variation of that, that you're talking about their, their obviously their business objectives, their assets, et cetera. And you guys have to kind of help bring that all to life, right? How much of that is a collaborative process and how much is it you guys sharing yeah. best practices from MBA and things? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's incredibly collaborative, and you know to give you context, you mentioned before um, that the deal with the NBA was announced in 2019. Um, Katie and La Liga were talking before that. Wow. Um, so La Liga, as you know, they have an incredible North American team, uh, very successful presence here, and they've been looking at the space for a long time, and they've been observing, and they were aware of Crypto Kitties back in the day. Um, and so we've had conversations with them for a long time. Uh, and eventually that led to the deal that was announced last year, but those conversations have been have been ongoing for, for quite some time. Um, the process is incredibly collaborative. I think it starts with understanding um, the fan. We put the fan at the center. We really want to uh, create something that's great for, uh, for fans and that fans are gonna enjoy. And honestly, a lot of my job is just putting myself in my own shoes because I'm a huge fan anyway. But um, that's that's where it all starts. And then you start thinking, okay, um, what do fans want? How 
can NFTs, um, you know, get fans closer to our game? Um, and what is the IP, uh, you know, that the partner has, that La Liga has in this case, that will help you do that? Um, and, you know, what's, uh, what's kind of like the reach and how can we uh, go to market together and how can we build, um, you know, a great product? And so in the case of La Liga, it's, it's an extremely compelling um, property. Uh, you know, for us, uh, like it's a top 10 sports property in the world. Um, it has about close to a billion fans. Um, and not just in Europe, but also in, in the US, they have a, a, a significant fan base in South America, Central America, Middle East, Asia. And so it's a truly global uh, fan base. Um, it arguably has uh, the two biggest clubs in the world uh, with Real and Barcelona. Um, and just to give you an idea, both those clubs have 250 million social media followers each. Um, the Lakers have 50. So that's a 5x uh, difference. The Cowboys have 15. So um, that's a 15 time X, right? Roughly. So, so you're talking about literally like global institutions um and uh you know very a, a very successful league and if you look at the past 20 years we're talking about video here um la liga has been absolutely uh incredible in terms of talent um and and wins uh they've won 47 european titles since 2000 um so the epl has won 30 um and then the other leagues maybe 10 so it's a, it's a big difference. And I'm talking about players like Messi, Ronaldo, Zidane, Beckham, Ronaldinho, Xavi, Iniesta, Agüero, Forlan, and I could name 30 others. Uh, if, if you're into soccer, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, and so this is a massive um, opportunity with massive reach and an incredible competition. So how do you bring the best of that um, to fans? Um, one of the things that's that's pretty obvious and that that's really important in this deal is the archive. Um, you know, we talked about that incredible uh, you know uh, run over the past two decades and those players. We want to bring that to life. Uh, that has to be uh, a core part of the product. Um, we uh, need to be able to bring what makes uh, football or soccer unique. Uh, and different from other sports. And, you know, as someone who's a football fan, I think the fans themselves are part of every football game in ways that you don't necessarily see in other sports. Um, and so how do you take that passion and that emotion that you see on the stands um, and, and how do you bring that to life in the product? Um, you know, a football pitch is much bigger than a basketball court. How do you produce the video? you know, in a way that truly, uh, you know, reflects the best of the sport. Um, and there's a number of other things that unfortunately I can't talk about, uh, but that we have in store um, that really reflect our desire and La Liga's desire to take the best of what makes their game unique and bring it to, um, you know, to an NFT product. We're not just going to copy paste what we've done for, uh, for other leagues, uh, that's never what we do. We really start with the fan um, and the fan of a given league, and then we try to build something that's custom. So, so along the lines, uh, you know, we've seen 
the good, the bad, and the very ugly from the early stages of NFT work. Um, everyone is trying to figure out how to make money. And the tech, as Tom is well aware, is sometimes less than desirable. But Dapper, how does Dapper stay above that, which you obviously have with UFC, La Liga, the NBA, the NFL, uh, with elite partners? How do you go about figuring out what's a good investment of time and effort uh, from a partnership standpoint? Because I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have been approached by every athlete, agent, league, you know, content creator on the planet to, to try and be part of the family? What gets you in the family? Yeah, we, um, it really goes back to what I was saying in terms of putting the fan first. Uh, so we think long and hard about the fan and whether we can bring something that is unique and that it's really going to attract uh, millions of fans. Um, and then we, uh, you know, we work with partners um, very collaboratively and if we feel that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that fandom is there um, and that collaboration is there, uh, then we have great grounds for, for a partnership. Uh, to your mm -hmm. point, we are selective. Um, we put a lot of effort into building this product. Uh, there's a lot of people involved. Uh, there's many, many months of planning, uh, many long nights. And, um, you know, we can't do... Um, you know, 3,000 projects like this. There have to right. be a few and we have to get them right. Um, we also need a mindset um, that's really, um, that, that embraces experimentation and embraces testing because a lot of what we're doing um, is new and uh, we need to be willing uh, to try new things and we need to have a partner that, that's willing to try new things with us. And so that's, that's one of the other uh, things that we look for in a partner. Um, but, you know, so far, very happy with uh, with the set of partners that we have. I think we'll have some more in the future, uh, but we're not, um, you know, we're not uh, trying to execute on every uh, possible uh, partnership that um, that's presented to us uh, because that would that would result in poor fun experience. And that's the last thing we want. Great. Yeah, re related to that. Um... With the experience itself, um, how do you, and, and share whatever insight you can, because obviously this might be some insight to use the phrase inside baseball stuff, mixing metaphors, um, but how is it determined when these, when these drops happen, the quantity, the pricing, et cetera? I think, and I've discussed this with other friends of mine who are into, let's say NBA Top Shot, it's always kind of mysterious. Will something be $14? Will it be $99? I mean, they were selling um, elite all-star packs yesterday, I think for 99 or was it 149 whatever, while the regular packs were 19 But it, it's always a little bit of a mystery because they don't necessarily make that clear to us unless I'm missing some fine print somewhere. Just you, you kind of go in, you hear about the drop, you get notified on email, you, you check it out, and then it's like, okay, you, the terms are there and either you want it or you don't. And in many cases, you're looking at numbers that also are not understandable on the, on the uh, availability side. Sometimes it's 200,000, sometimes it's 100,000, sometimes it's 10,000, et cetera. Is there some, what's the rhyme or reason behind that? If you can share some, some uh, insight there. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, we, you know, we're, we've been learning uh, about how to manage, um, you know, our community and our product. And if you think about it, it's uh, maybe a little bit over a year old at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so it's certainly a learning process. What we try to do is we try to deliver value to fans. And you mentioned that um, uh, we've delivered close to one billion uh, dollars in in fan value so far, and so that is one guiding principle. Um, we also try to make sure that when people buy a pack, they have uh, you know positive expected value. They have a chance to get something mm -hmm. uh, that is relatively rare, unique, um, and they have a decent chance of getting a great card. Uh, you know, regardless of the price of the pack. So those are considerations that we have. We want people to um, feel that they're getting value at the product. Uh, you know, what our game economy and design team does is to look at supply and demand uh, and to try to put together, um, you know, an offering based on the principles that I described that's mm -hmm. going to get those, uh, you know, those goals. Um, and, uh, you know, with different, with different asset types, different editions, et cetera. And trying to, uh, you know, cater to um, uh, different collectors. Uh, some collectors, um, you know, may want to uh, spend more money, get a more, uh, get a bigger collection, um, and engage very frequently and be a part of every drop. And some others, uh, you know, may may not desire to uh, to be so active. So we want to also get an experience, um, you know, that's good to uh, to everybody and, and give a chance um, to new users to join the product, uh, to try it out, um, and then to keep participating. And so all of those considerations go into, uh, you know, making the decisions that um, that uh, that you're describing. Uh, now, what happens after that is, is also very interesting, um, and it's something we've been working. Um, you know, we've been working a lot on, which is, okay, you buy uh, a pack and what happens next? Um, and you're gonna open the pack. It's an incredible experience because it's when kind of when the magic happens and you see what you're gonna get. Um, and, you know, you need to decide what to do with those moments. If you're gonna sell some of those moments, if you're gonna keep some of those moments. Um, and we've been uh, really working on creating what we call challenges and flash challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so different, uh, I'm going to call them games for lack of a better word, but different games, um, that really, um, incentivize fans to, uh, you know, remain active in the community, to trade, to participate, buy and sell other moments. Um, and a lot of those are tied to, uh, you know, what's happening in the league. Um, and so, uh, you know, when, when we had the Christmas games, there was a Christmas day, uh, challenge uh, when uh, Steph Curry was close to hitting that three-point record um, there was a three-pointer uh, challenge and so we really try um, hard to um, you know to give people a chance um, to to get different rewards and complete different collections uh, mm -hmm. in a way that reflects the reality of of the competition um, and what we see is that when people do that they are uh, a lot more engaged, they get a lot bigger collections, um, and and you know they come to us more often, and that's great for us, and that that's probably a better experience. It's a sign that the product's working, um, and it's a big area of focus for us. Really, after the drops, um, not just 
uh, you know, not just about when you buy the pack, but also uh, what happens after. Because in the end, um, that's really one of the big differences in this space, um, you know, relative to, to potentially other NFT drops. Um, it's not about getting people to try it once or to buy an NFT. It's about NFTs delivering value over time. And that's, that's the business that we're in. Cool. Um, hey, one more question uh, as we kind of get towards the end. Uh, time management. You know, how much is it a concern of the obsession of time as we've seen with especially younger collectors spending so much time or will people get tired? I mean, that, that's got to be, I, I imagine that's part of kind of the evolving strategy, but um, you know, we've seen the collectible space ebb and flow for decades. Um, how do you manage or how do you, how do you track the time to make sure that the people are, are using their time correctly and not wasting it? And then kind of the, their user experience goes down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is another area where our team, our community team um, has been working really hard and our content and marketing teams. When this started, um, it was a relatively new space. Uh, we had, uh, you know, presence in social media. We had a Discord and we tried to educate um, and explain, you know, how the product works um, as much as we could. Uh, we've done a lot more. Um, you know, on that front recently, if you go to our site, you have guides um, in terms of, uh, you know, for, for different levels of, um, of users, you have guides in terms of uh, how, how the product works, how the challenges work. There's one that I love, which is what to do in your first week uh, on top, in Top Shot. So let's say you join today, we're going to tell you exactly what you need to know. So you don't spend a week trying to figure out, oh my God, what do I buy? What do I sell? What do mm -hmm. I keep? But um, you know, you'll you'll be well prepared um, to do that. Um, we've made it easier to access um, the product in many ways. There's a KV starter pack right now, uh, the Kevin Durant one uh, that you can buy um, anytime. So you don't necessarily have to wait for a drop uh, to participate on the product. Um, and you know, lots of YouTube videos as well uh, on top of our regular presence on Discord. Um, and so we really want to make it easy for people to, um, to access. Um, and, you know, if, if some others want to spend a lot more time on it, like we welcome that as well. Uh, yeah. But definitely this shouldn't be a time drag on people. Great. Or hey, one last question on, on the, the business um, kind of at large. When we think about the different power brokers in the sports business, rights holders and stuff, we think about teams and associations and conferences. We think about, I'm sorry, leagues, associations, and conferences, teams, the athletes themselves, the big media companies. Certainly it seems like everybody's trying to figure out what their lane is gonna be in the world of blockchain tech and Web3 and NFTs. Do these league deals um, restrict the individual teams and the athletes who are in the union from doing their own ventures, at least in the context of their employment in the league and the teams. In other words, they can probably appear in street clothes, like the stuff Gronkowski has done or that Brady is doing or whatever. Can you explain that? I think that's a kind of a mystery that a lot of people, a lot of us don't yeah. quite understand. Yeah. It's, um, it's different sports by sport, right. league by league. So I can give a very specific answer, but um, you, know, you can think of this as 
different stakeholders owning different uh, parts of the pie, uh, if, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, typically a lot of what happens on the court um, is is um, managed by the league. Um, that that's uh, a model that we generally see, and so um, you know, a, a video of a play. Uh, you know, most leagues are going to hold the rights to that. In some cases, some leagues, some sports is the clubs. Mm -hmm. um, anything that happens outside of the court or outside of the facility, um, a lot of that are things that the individual athletes can exploit. Um, some of the stuff that's in between um, belongs to, to teams and clubs. And so, um, you know, to give you an example, a picture of a stadium or maybe a trophy or their museum, uh, their anthem, those kinds of things. Um, and so to your point, every stakeholder is trying to figure out uh, what IP they own um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and how to enter the space with that IP. I think the question though is backwards. I think the question they should be asking is what do my fans want? Mm. What do they expect from me? And do I have the IP uh, to do that or not? And, you know, I'll give you... Um, an example, uh, and I, I, I don't know if this is particularly um, or specifically right, but I have not seen Roger Federer, you know, come up or, you know, with, with an NFT strategy so mm -hmm. far. And, you know, I wonder if that's what his fans expect of him um, and if it fits. Um, and so, you know, we, we love, um, we'd love to bring this technology to the masses. Um, and, you know, I think we have to do it the right way. And we have to put funds really at the center and think about how to best serve their interests and then take the projects that will do that and, and not take the projects that will not do that. Um, and so that's, that's ultimately what's going to contribute to the success of, um, of the industry. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think it, it all starts with the fan and really putting mm -hmm. the fans at the center rather than thinking, Hey, this is a this is a great trend. Let's let's try to get some NFTs out um, and 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 make a quick bag. I, I don't think that's that's the the right approach here. No, it's a really good answer, and it and it's interesting to think that as this space evolves, that we've kind of established as a baseline for let's call it uh, V1 of the NFT craze that video highlights, at least in sports, which the leagues have the rights to is kind of the key asset that's being exploited. You can add the other things, but it's really the video asset in the case of Top Shot and um, the others. Um, but over time, as this gets more dimensionalized per your comments before, it doesn't necessarily have to be the video highlight that becomes kind of the main draw. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to watch how this evolves vis-a-vis -vis your, your very point about the IP and the asset exploitation that will vary from individual athlete to property to conference etc because you know everybody i mean joe we hear this in all of our conversations everybody's talking about this everybody wants to figure it out so i would imagine roger federer federer's business manager and every famous individual athlete including mm -hmm. golfers are trying to figure out ways to get in to the action um are they being as strategic as you're suggesting that they go survey their fans maybe maybe not i think that would vary too um, it's going to be really interesting to watch the next few years, particularly as more people become comfortable with the um, with the experience overall. One last point I'd make, Joe, that I don't think has come up, and and Jorge, you could just do give a quick responses before we give you our final questions. Unlike 
many of the other NFT environments, Dapper specifically chose to allow the usage of credit cards, you know, US yes. dollar based credit cards. That has made it more accessible to the quote masses. Um, to do, for example, Zed Run stuff, which I've been involved with as well, it's quite, some would call it complicated because it involves, you know, using your your wallet, your your um, crypto wallet and, and Ethereum and things like that. So Jorge, that, I assume that was just uh, two quick responsiveness. I assume that was on purpose to get maximum adoption. Yes. And number two is, do you see that? I've already seen that the payment options, I've been notified of this, have expanded. Do you see this ultimately as a way to bring more people into cryptocurrencies? Absolutely. Um, look, our mission is to bring the blockchain to the masses. And we say uh, one dapper wallet in every pocket. That's mm -hmm. how we refer to it internally. And the way we built our technology is predicated upon that premise. And so payments and accepting credit cards is a huge part of it. Being environmentally friendly is a huge part of it. And, and, and right. we, we haven't, I could talk about this at length, but um, you know, it's, um, there, was a, there was a study by Deloitte released last week that said basically that uh, minting an NFT in our blockchain consumes less energy than a post in social media. Wow. So, so wow. It, is, it is pretty, pretty significantly different from what you hear um, about, about other blockchains in the space. Um, and also being um, accessible, which for us means uh, withstanding a large volume of, tra of transactions. And uh, typically that leads to also lower average prices. Right. Um, and so some, some NFT projects, which are great, are predicated on very few units and very large prices. And that, that hasn't really been our model. Um, other things that I could add there, I talked about our KYC, our fraud specialist, um, and, and the customer service that we offer. Uh, we've really made this in a way that I, I hope my mom and my dad will be able to go and transact in the blockchain without even knowing that they're transacting in exactly. the blockchain, yeah. because I don't even, I don't even want to use that word. Um, <laughs> right. It shouldn't be like that, right? It should be easy. Um, right. And so that's really how we've built the company. Yeah. Cool. Speak in um, your language. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, no. I, and then just to let everybody know when the La Liga stuff will become widely available. Yeah, in a few months, uh, certainly uh, before the start of next season. Okay. Uh, I don't want to commit to a specific date, but, uh, you know, sooner sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, cool. Well, that's good, good to know. All right. Um, so, Jorge, you know we finish all of our shows with two questions we like to... Yeah. To ask everybody. Uh, and the first is, how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? Like, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Uh, and the second is um, to, to offer some career advice, particularly to younger people who are building their careers. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I mostly listen to podcasts. Um, I joke that if I didn't have this job, I'd probably be a dog walker because I love walking my dogs. So I mostly <laughs> listen to podcasts while I'm walking my dogs. That's what I do. Um, and I, besides this one, I listen to Light Chat every week, um, Recode Media with Peter Kafka, Stratechery. I, I generally listen to Stratechery as opposed yeah. to reading it. Right. Um, and a few others, uh, pretty obscure football podcasts mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I 
I mentioned Stratechery and tech, something that I follow um, pretty closely. Uh, the New York Times, I have a general subscription to the New York Times and I read a little bit of everything, The Athletic. Um, and so that's that's what I read and, and consume. Um, what and about, I, what about I, in the crypto space? I think a lot of us are trying to figure out a good curated list for crypto because there's so much being done right now. I mostly follow people on Twitter okay. uh, for that. And I mean, I think Chris Dixon from yeah. Andreessen Horowitz, who's an investor in our company, is a great one. Um, Jarod Dicker from the Churning Group. Uh, Roham, our CEO, um, is, is um, pretty active on, on Twitter as well. Um, and, um, and then our, our friend, Chris Niari. Uh, yeah, of course. Has an incredible mix of all things crypto and all things sports. Yeah, he's a little bit obsessed, and, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I... I see a lot of his tweets. I read a lot of uh, what he talks about, and I, I generally find it very insightful and um, and keeps me up to speed. So thank you, Chris. Yeah. Uh, but those are those are my follows, my go-to's. Great. What about some advice? Yeah, advice um, for students trying to get into sports. My number one advice, and it's a it's a more general advice about finding a job and and getting into an industry, but I. I I would really think long and hard about what it is that you do well and that you do better than other people and how you can use that to help a particular company or person. Um, I feel like, you know, sometimes people tend to tell you, here's what I've done, or I'm such a big fan of X, Y, and C, and that's great. Uh, we all are. But oftentimes what people are interested in is very succinctly, here's how I do this really well and here's how it's going to help you um, and so i would think about that pitch and then step two is to repeat it multiple times and not to despair because uh it's very hard to get into this industry everybody is a fan everybody loves the industry and so you have to try uh you know multiple times until you get a chance um and so if you persevere and not despair you'll get there yeah perfect cool all right. Well, thanks, Jorge. That was great. Um, so everybody wants to check out Dapper Labs and what they're doing at uh, the Dapper Labs uh, website has a lot on it. There's been some good stuff from the CEO. I've seen some of that, Jorge. That, thanks for reminding us of that. Jorge himself on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Follow Jorge. Uh, you, you got, you know, you kind of it, it, upped your Twitter game the last couple of years, I've noticed. So good for you. Uh, that's always well done. Joe Fab, I've seen, has been doing some tweets about some NFT crypto stuff the last couple of months. So that's good too. Um, Joe, do you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Um, once again, this has been a great 45-minute uh, discussion uh, with an alum, with someone who's at the literally at the cusp of what we're doing um, and learning about uh, in the NFT and the crypto space. Uh, but Jorge, once again, thanks for joining us on the Cusp Show. Um, I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson, as we head towards spring, and maybe we'll be doing some of these in person at some point, Tom. Uh, we will see you down the road.